and welcome to episode 31 of React Native Radio. Today on our panel, we have Peter Pykarczyk. Hey, everybody. Kevin Old. Hey, everyone. I'm your host, Nader Dabbitt. And our special guest today is Spencer Carley. Hey, everyone. Spencer, before we get into our discussion, can you kind of give us an idea of how you got into coding? Yeah, so I got into uh, programming in general kind of weird way. Um, I started a company when I was like 15 or 16 years old. That was very much very primitive survival, bushcraft, outdoor stuff, and did that through YouTube channel. And as it grew, I, I wanted to build a website and thus, you know, an online store. And so, you know, started dabbling in that, dabbling in WordPress, and that got me kind of hooked on it. And then I was very fortunate through high school, uh, my junior and senior year to have a mentor through one of my classes, really taught me more about technology, kind of gave me permission during school to kind of learn what I wanted to learn and connected me with some developers in the area who ended up getting me uh, connected with Differential, the company I'm working with now. And that's kind of the how I got into programming in short. Okay, cool. Well, uh, can you tell us a little bit about Differential? Yeah, uh, Differential helps uh, businesses kind of identify, you know, barriers to growth. And then um, if it's the right fit, if, you know, technology will help them, you know, actually solve the problems that we've identified, we'll go ahead and kind of work with them. We've got a lot of, you know, really strong developers and designers on our team. And we'll go ahead and, you know, craft a solution that works for their business, their problems, uh, their customers to really, you know, create the right product that will help their business continue to grow and match and exceed their milestones. So are you guys like consultants that work for this larger consultancy that is your company and and you guys kind of get projects from the leads that they generate? So differential, you know, differential, they're more of like a partner for these companies. Um, And then, you know, they've got their they've got their dedicated development team, uh, design team. Then there's, there's a few of us kind of like me who will go in and kind of supplement their, their um, development resources and help them out on things like, you know, React Native. Um, and yeah, just that's, that's the way we kind of work around that. Um, and what's the story between React Native and your company and how do you guys, how did you guys kind of start using it there? Yeah, so Differential's been very, very, you know, bullish on Meteor. They were, you know, I, I'd like to say like one of the very, very first development shops using Meteor full time. Um, since I started interning with them, geez, four years ago, they've been using Meteor this whole time. And then a little over a year ago, we started a relationship with a client that I'm still working with. And they had experiences with Cordova in the past, specifically Meteor Cordova. And they weren't really happy with the performance they got from it. Um, And, you know, we personally, at that time, we didn't really have anyone super familiar with uh, native development. And React Native was on the scene. You know, we're all JavaScript developers. They liked the idea of eventually at that time being able to build cross-platform iOS and Android apps with JavaScript, you know, using the same language we're using on the back end with the existing uh, Meteor app that we had in place. So um, you know, through discussions, through research, we kind of decided to go down this React Native route um, a year ago. So pretty, pretty early on, uh, shortly after its release. And we just, we've stuck with React Native on that project. And now I think, you know, we've got four or five React Native projects ramping up within Differential right now. Um, majority of those backed by Meteor. Well, as someone that loves React Native and developing in it, that actually sounds like a really fun place to work. 
it's fantastic. And yeah, I, I love the team that I'm fortunate enough to work with every day. And do you guys do Android and iOS or do you guys kind of do one or the other? Yeah, with React Native, we're doing iOS and Android whenever, you know, that actually makes sense. Because a few of our clients, they're just interested in like the iOS app um, side of things. But like what I'm working on every day now, uh, we're, we're building the iOS and the Android app side by side. Have you ever had any issues with using React Native? Like just because someone who understands, you know, technology, but isn't necessarily a programmer decides to Google like React Native or whatever and say like, hey, no, we'd, we'd rather do this or we'd rather go completely native. Have you been in situations like that before? Yeah, definitely. Uh, towards the beginning of the project, especially as you know, React Native was very new, there were doubts about you know, what, what our capabilities would be. Um, you know, would we actually be able to you know, build a really high quality app, a consumer-based or consumer-focused app um, with a good experience. So there, there were definitely doubts around the abilities, you know, of, of a, a React Native app that we're writing, you know, 90%, 95% of our code in, in JavaScript. What, what kind of abilities are we going to be able to actually bring to the table and do those, you know, abilities outweigh the limitations that may be there? Are those usually arguments that you end up winning, like whether it's you or like your boss or somebody, just because you, you're always trying to do what's best for the client, you know, rather than just Googling stuff? Right. Yeah. I'd say typically just because of the, the, the choice and clients we make, because um, we're pretty selective about who we work with. We generally know that answer prior to even working with them, like what technology stacks are going to be how receptive they're going to be on different, on using different types of technology. So it's, it's never too much of a, a fight. But yeah, like you said, um, whenever we choose a tech stack, it's always a combination of like, you know, what are we familiar with and what's going to be the best use case for the, the client? So weighing, you know, developer familiar, familiarity, the speed at which we can get things done, and then the quality of the product that we're actually going to deliver at the end of that engagement. So what types of apps are you guys kind of building? Are these more like data visualization or are they kind of like list apps, games, or, you know, what have you? Definitely not games. Um, mostly list apps. Um, and I, I never know how much I can actually talk about these projects because they're kind of in like a private beta. But yeah, it's just kind of basically like we're aggregating different different data to, to make, you know, the user's experience with with their employer with different larger entities more engaging and give the give the larger entity a better understanding about you know the users of this app uh the people within their organization so it's generally uh you know providing val- some information to the to the users and then also uh collecting some data some analytics about those users to you know create a better relationship between this large organization and and there are many, there are many users, there are many people. So uh, since you guys have been using React Native for about a year now, um, how has the upgrade process gone for you guys? And like, if you hand off an app to a company, have they been able to kind of keep up with the upgrading and like adding new features and things like that? Yeah. So upgrading, you know, from version to version is generally pretty simple, um, except for I think it was like 
014 to 015, where they did a huge image change um, in preparation for Android support. That was a that was a painful upgrade process because we were already pretty deep into the project and had a lot of assets we had to move around. But generally, the upgrade process from version to version is pretty straightforward, especially with like our NPM coming out. They're just making it that much easier. But as we're working with the clients and the specific engagement we've got set up on the projects I'm working with is we're building up a technology team, um, working with them side by side for a few months at a time. Once you know we, we transition off of the project, they're definitely able to keep moving, keep shif- shipping uh, features, upgrading to stay up to date with uh, the latest React Native version. Um, because you know they're, you know that's their job. We we work side by side with them, and as we get closer to us moving off of the project, they're kind of in charge of the upgrade process, leading new features, and we're just there more of a as a support role. Is how we kind of go through that transition. Well, that's a pretty interesting concept or, or process. I haven't really heard of a company consultancy doing exactly that. Uh, I hear a lot of build the entire you know product, I guess, and then kind of maintain it or build the whole product and then send it to another group of people that will maintain it. But actually, you know, having a group of devs in in house and then building it and then handing it off to that comp to that company. That's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting experience. You know, we've actually done this transition in full one time, but it is, it is a little hard because you're kind of, you know, passing, passing your, your baby project on to somebody else that you've been working on some instant instances for a year, nine months or whatever it may be. It's a little hard to kind of, you know, lose that control of the project and just let it kind of drift away from you. So are you a full stack developer there? Yes, I am. Yep. I generally all of all of the developers um, will handle everything from, you know, building out the, the client interface um, based off of designs that we've gotten from our designers to actually implementing the you know, in our case, the meteor methods, um, setting up the MongoDB collections, all of that will will kind of build all of the features um, ourselves. So we've got like feature ownership, and we'll each we're all able to kind of build from the client to the back end and do all of that. So um, before you started using Meteor and React Native, were you using any other back end with React Native and then moved to Meteor, or was that kind of like your first choice? Well. So we already had a Meteor application. This was going back a year. We had a Meteor app. The web app side um, was already built in Meteor. That's kind of what we'd established beforehand. And then three months into the project, the mobile apps are getting discussed more. And rather than going Meteor Cordova integration, we decided to go the React Native route. Meteor was just kind of forced into the React Native situation at that point. Um, It was a little tricky to work with at that point in time, but it's gotten a lot better now. So have you run into any challenges um, with using Meteor as a backend uh, with React Native? Yeah. So if you know someone's not familiar with Meteor, it's all WebSocket-based. Uh, it uses this protocol called DDP. And you know, rather than having, you know, connecting to a REST endpoint or now a GraphQL endpoint, um, we've constantly got this WebSocket connection. And when we're working on mobile, that can get a little tricky. You know, somebody goes through an area of um, poor reception, runs through a tunnel, whatever, you know, they lose their internet connection. This is just something you've got to think about when you're building a mobile app. 
you know, when we first started, it was tricky because I wasn't super familiar with, you know, the underlying DDP protocol, the WebSocket connection. So managing that could get a little tricky. Fortunately, you know, as time goes on with technology, there's a great NPM package out there called uh, React Native Meteor, and it's doing all of that behind the scenes. So, you know, thinking about the WebSocket side, it'll, when it detects that you've disconnected from the, the server, it'll, you know, try, continue to try and reconnect and it'll actually cache, you know, any method calls that you're making to the server and then batch run those when you're able to actually connect to a server again. So it's gotten a lot easier. And that, that was the, that was the big problem um, or the big sticking point a while ago was just managing that WebSocket connection on a mobile device. So are you able to use uh, Redux or Relay or Flux or some derivative on the client side to essentially have like a long-lived state before you send data back to the server? Is that possible with, with the Meteor backend or is the um, idea that it's very uh, up-to-date with uh, the, the front-end is very up-to-date with the back-end? Yeah, so the intention of Meteor is that, you know, the front end's as up-to-date as possible with the back end. Um, but with the apps we're building now, we're actually using a combination of React Native, Meteor, and then we're actually using Redux um, on the React Native client to, you know, handle long-term storage. And the great thing about, so we'll, we'll actually, you know, um, copy over collection data into our Redux stores, um, method results, user data, all of that stored in our Redux store. And the intention there is if a user does lose connection like, and they want to search through a list of users, they're still able, still able to do that, at least with the cached data that we've got on the client. And also if you know, they open the app up when they're you know, 100 miles out in the woods and don't have a cell signal, um, we'll kind of rehydrate the Redux store with whatever that last state was um, the last time they used the app with a connection. So they've at least got uh, a basic experience on their device. Awesome. Uh, so using Redux, um, can you talk a little bit about um, how you manage the data uh, in Redux? I know that if you were to use Redux and Firebase, um, you know they uh, they have a, um, I believe it's React Fire uh, kind of library that you can put in, but you kind of have to, um, that, that only really works with React components because um, if you want to use it with Redux, um, you have a little bit, uh, well, you have much different workflow um, with the data. So you kind of have to pick and choose which how you interact with that um, with Firebase itself. Uh, is there something um, that you have to do specifically uh, with Redux and, and Meteor? Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so this is something, especially on the, the Meteor and React side on the web, there's a lot of discussion around it. And I'll be the first to admit that, like, I don't think the way we're doing it is, is necessarily the best. So we use React Native Meteor behind everything. It handles the DDP connection, the methods. Um, and basically what we're doing, what we'll do there is some of this data is auto-published to us through the Meteor pub subsystem, such as user data. Um, so whenever that user data is upgraded, is updated, and, you know, we get that uh, that event emitted that, you know, we've got new user data. We'll actually go ahead and emit a, a Redux action to copy that user data, the, the 
server status and copy that into our Redux store. And then, you know, for a majority of our application, it's, you know, making a method call very much like calling a REST endpoint. And so our, our container com component will go ahead and emit a, a Redux thunk action where, you know, we'll do some sort of optimistic UI if, if we need to. We'll go ahead and make our Meteor method call. And then from that method call, we've got a result or our error. And then we'll go ahead and emit another action, just kind of like a confirmation action, at which point we'll, we'll actually store that, the response from our server in our Redux store. And then that'll go ahead and propagate throughout our, our application and update things however it needs to. Awesome. Awesome. That, that's the exact pattern that um, I've seen used with Firebase. Uh, okay. Kind of, you don't really use the, the React um, Fire. Uh, you um, use uh, just the Firebase library directly and then essentially list, have the uh, respond to the uh, events and then dispatch actions and use Redux as normal. So um, that's awesome that, it, uh, that it's, it's that flexible that, uh, because uh, you know, there are a lot of different backends and, you know, with, with these, um, you put Redux in the middle of it and you want to have like some way to manage your data and massage it. Uh, it doesn't have to be long-term storage, but um, long-term could be a second. You know, you need to do some transforms before you get it to the server. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, it's, it's nice to see that Redux is kind of bridging the gap, whatever the backend is, you can kind of adapt and just respond to events and then use Redux as normal with its actions get your data into a state you want it and then um, go from there. So it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you, you mentioned um, kind of like, you know, the possibility of different backends. And that's actually a use case that we may see with this application we're building right now is, you know, it, it's a large organization. They've got data in multiple places and Redux is kind of giving us, especially the, the Redux actions, it's giving us an easy way to, uh, you know, figure out where we're calling our data without having to modify our components, our display components at all, or like the ones that are actually emitting the actions, um, because we're able to call whatever backend we need, be it, you know, Meteor, a REST endpoint that they've got on their side, or, you know, we're looking forward to using um, like Apollo client. We're able to handle all of that within our action creators. And yeah. then, We'll just modify the data however we need to to kind of go into our Redux store. So we'll, we're able to use different backends. Um, so as you know, if we need to use Elasticsearch because we've got a lot of data and we want to kind of offload that to a different server, or different service, we only have to modify that one spot in our code and then just put that data in our Redux store, and we know our app's going to work correctly. Yeah, absolutely. That's the that's the neat thing that I love about Redux is that mm -hmm. it that, um, it adapt it allows you to um, to shape the data the way you want it to shape your actions the way you want it and like you're still just following these the same patterns like I don't know it's really hard to explain to someone that's not used it but as soon as you use it and you you do an action uh, you dispatch an action you respond to that action in a reducer um, and then you that action or that you have it connected into a component tree and you receive that data down the tree that's it like it's so cool um yeah and and then of course likewise when you are the part i left that was when you're in an action and you go and fetch that data from some 
mysterious function. It's, you know, uh, get data from API function, right? However, that's resolved, right? Whether it's um, straight AJAX calls, multiple AJAX calls with multiple promises that then put the data together and send it to you, it doesn't matter. It's completely abstracted. And so right. you can have that flexibility to just shift back into whatever works. Um, yeah, so it's so cool that the, you guys are using that. So I have a question about how that all works. What if you have like four different backends that you're communicating with in this stack? Um, when does all of that loading happen? Does it like happen depending on what um, view you're navigating to and from, or do you kind of load everything up when the app starts or how does that all work? Yeah. So this is a problem we're trying to kind of work through right now. And when the app loads where we're loading in an initial set of data. So we've got like, you know, this basic feed, we'll load in some data there. Um, we've got a list of users, we'll load that in. And we're, we're kind of, we'll load in a small subset of that data. So if somebody's on one tab and they switch to the other really fast, hopefully, you know, there'll at least be some amount of data there before they actually switch to that tab. Um, and then since, you know, we're using lists so heavily, we're just kind of implementing either, you know, a manual load more or kind of an infinite scroll type scenario um, to just fetch as much data as we need um, in as fast a method as possible as the users using the application. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. You mentioned using Mongo. Uh, are there any other databases that you, or, or, or um, backend as a service that you've been using uh, with any of the apps you've built? No. Um, so with Meteor, it's, it's very much, and this is one of the very common complaints, is with Meteor, you know, it's, it's a big buy-in um, because currently Meteor only supports, officially supports Mongo. Um, so that's the only backend we've used with Meteor. And thus, that's the only backend I've really used with, um, with React Native as well as Mongo. What about authentication and authorization? Um, how is all of that implemented with your stack? Yeah, so from, you know, Meteor's got a pretty powerful uh, user count system. It's, you know, custom built kind of the Meteor way. And that, that's what we're tapping into as well. React Native Meteor, the package we use behind the scenes. It's the goal with that package is to mirror the Meteor client API as much as possible. So if... Um, you know, somebody wants to create an account, we've got like an accounts.create user method, or if they want to log in, it's meteor.login with password. Um, so we're, we're, you know, leveraging the Meteor account system in full. And that's something that we kind of get out of the box for free from Meteor. As soon as you, you know, run Meteor create my app, then Meteor add um, accounts password, you've got a full user account system in place to use. And that's just what we tap into through the through the API uh, to handle all of that. So is that pretty easy to kind of uh, to implement if someone's like going to start a new project and they want to get their feet wet in Meteor and authenticating and authoriz authorizing with Meteor? Is that kind of something that was fairly easy to pick up or is it something that takes a while to kind of wrap your head around? I think it's pretty easy to pick up. The people I've seen who, you know, are using Meteor for the first time, um, Meteor in general is just, in my opinion, really simple to pick up because it, um, you know, JavaScript fatigue is such a, a, a common word now, but um, Meteor is much more opinionated than that. So it's allowing us, you know, we run that Meteor create my app and, you know, it takes care of setting up our database, setting up um, very basic 
application. So we've got the client set up, the server set up, and then, you know, with a simple Meteor add accounts password, we've got a user account system set up. And then the the docs um, for Meteor are, you know, very well put together, very explain they they explain everything really well. So I find it um, really easy to pick up. It's a lot of people kind of use it in the hackathon environment. Um, and it's kind of been plagued by that image for a while, but it's definitely, uh, it's a stack that allows you to get started very, very rapidly. But as your application evolves and, you know, you're working on it for a year at a time, um, it kind of, you're able to move it out of the way and just, you know, write a more normal node app. So when you install Meteor, is it basically the same as you would if you were installing Meteor on a React web application? You kind of just go ahead and start your React Native app and then you just install Meteor. Do you also need to install Meteor, React Native Meteor, or do you do one or the other? Or how does that all work? Yeah, so the workflow that we'll go through is kind of setting up. We'll set up a normal Meteor app, which we've got an internal boilerplate that a lot of the team's very familiar with, and that handles you know, the Meteor, Meteor side of things. So equivalent to that would be, you know, installing Meteor, then running Meteor Create, my app. And then on the React Native side, again, typical React Native installation. I, I don't remember the commands for that, but very, very basic. And then we'll go ahead and install the, the React Native Meteor package. Once that's there, all you have to do to kind of get, get the two talking is run meteor.connect. And then, you know, point it to localhost or your server's URL or IP address. And then in the development environment, um, we've got, you know, one shell that has media running, the other shell that has the React Native Packager running. And then uh, the two are connected. And you'll see in the console that React Native logs that it's connected to the DDP server. And then all you have to do is import Meteor from React Native Meteor and you've got um, this entire client API that will allow you to interact with everything that Meteor has to offer. I just read on Hacker News that Microsoft acquired LinkedIn. Yeah, I saw that. That's crazy. Yeah, it was pretty big, pretty big buy. Is there anything React Native specific that you found, um, you know, that's worth mentioning and worth talking about that we haven't asked? Um, well, one thing that I found with React Native, and this is something I personally struggled with, was the way you go about learning it. Um, the React Native docs are very, they're good in the sense that it teaches you how to use React Native, the different components that they've got avail available to you. Um, but whenever, I, I actually just wrote a blog post on this last week, I believe, of kind of like, you know, how to become a React Native developer. And this is something I've seen with, you know, interns coming into our company, people that email me, um, they want to dive right into React Native. And I don't, I don't think that's the right approach. Um, a lot of the time people don't even have, you know, JavaScript experience. So typically I'll say, if you want to become a React Native developer, spend a little bit of time just getting familiar with um, JavaScript, especially with the ES6 syntax, um, just so you can actually, you know, reason about the code that you're looking at. And then before you even really dive into React Native to spend some time learning about React and the way to think about building an application in React, um, because you may not be using, you know, this, the exact same syntax, you may not be using divs and spans and um, all of that that you would use on the web for React. 
But by spending the time learning React and going through that process, going through the React tutorials, um, you'll save a lot of time refactoring later on when you're building your React Native app because you're, you know, you've gone through that process of knowing how to reason about an application and structure it for React, which is all stuff that you can carry on to React Native. And then um, once you've got that foundation in JavaScript and React, and you don't have to go super deep on that, but just having a, a foundational knowledge, then you can jump into React Native and really be a lot more productive um, in the short term because all you have to do is learn the components, not how to actually architect things. And then I see the efficiency really boosted, uh, you know, weeks or months down the line when your application is growing in size because you don't have to spend time refactoring because, um, you know, you, you structured something in a weird way or whatever. You've got that foundational knowledge so that things are just in place the way you would expect them to be. Um, and then to finish, you know, once you've kind of, you're familiar with React Native, then to spend that time learning uh, the Redux and all the things that really build on top of on React and Redux and that whole ecosystem. Um, that, that's the biggest thing I'll, I'll see with React Native and people who want to learn it. It's just making sure you, you spend a little bit of time and putting making that time investment uh, to actually go through and, and learn things uh, rather than trying to just dump, jump into the code and building your application on day one. So I was looking at the React Native Meteor NPM package, and it looks like it was put out by a company called In Progress. And it looks like they have also done quite a bit of um, open source stuff around React Native. Have you ever kind of interacted with them or talked to them? Yeah, I, um, I've made some contributions to that repository, and I've talked to the, the maintainer very briefly just through email. Um, and yeah, they're, that's another company that's going um, you know, full steam ahead, or at least working a lot with React Native and Meteor. I know they've got at least one production app that is using the React Native Meteor package behind the scenes to uh, manage that connection between the two technologies. Yeah, they seem pretty interesting. It looks like they're maybe located in, in Europe somewhere. I'll yeah, I think to... France. Okay, cool. Yeah, maybe we'll reach out to them one day and have them on the show. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'd love to listen to that and hear what they've got to say. So I'm not sure if this has been asked yet, uh, but what's like the future of Meteor and React Native? What are you working on or what do you hope that someone else comes out with that makes your life a million times easier? So something I'd love somebody to come out with, because I've tried twice now and kind of failed each time, is just a, a better way to integrate integrate um, Meteor and Redux. Because, you know, I really like kind of like how we discussed earlier, um, how, how data is stored in Redux and the flexibility it gives us. Um, but the, the way I'm doing the Meteor and Redux integration, especially when it comes to the real-time pub-sub type stuff, um, it's not pretty. And it's, I can see if we were using real-time uh, more in our application, it could get a little tricky and hard to manage. Um, but fortunately, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but there's the Apollo project. So there's like Apollo client and Apollo server, yeah, which absolutely. basically, cool. yeah, oh, so yeah. I'm, I'm super excited for that and just seeing, um, really using that because, you know, it's built by guys who built the, the Meteor framework. Um, so selfishly, I'm excited for that because I'm sure, you know, the integration will be really strong there. Um, and that, that's kind of where I see us heading more in the future. 
um, because, you know, we don't need real time everything. And the technologies, you know, GraphQL, it's just incredible, like the flexibility, especially from a mobile perspective, um, or sometimes, you know, you've got the slower release time if you're, if you have to go through the app stores, um, the flexibility that that allows is just, it's really exciting. And that's, that's kind of where as things stabilize with Apollo, um, all of us at Differential are kind of looking more towards that route to migrate our apps towards it. So would, uh, I don't really know a lot about Apollo. Can someone kind of explain, is that going to kind of like replace backends like Meteor or is it kind of another layer that you kind of interact with or how does that all fit together? I think it's a, uh, another GraphQL client. So Relay is the official one from Facebook and there's a few other ones like Apollo doing their own thing. Yeah, I, I think, and I'm not, I'm kind of the guy who will sit off to the side and wait for all the dust to settle. But my understanding is it's kind of like a layer between uh, your, your client application and your backend or, you know, your microservices. And um, so there's, there's two pieces. There's the Apollo server and the Apollo client. And the Apollo server is going to kind of serve as a layer between um, your client applications and your backends and allow you to interface with whatever backends you have um, through this single API. And then the Apollo client is what you'll install on your React Native app, your web app, um, to actually integrate with all these different backends. And it allows you to leverage GraphQL um, in a relatively simple way. Because I know they've talked about um, Relay may, might be kind of hard to get started with. And there's a lot of great examples for GraphQL on the server, but not so much on the client. And that's where I see really Apollo shining is just making it really easy to get started today in an, even in an existing app um, to start using GraphQL in your app um, just to you know, really enhance both the developer and the user's experience. Uh, I was just curious, is there still going to be a need for like Redux and, and the, I guess a layer like a data architecture like Redux when you're using Apollo or is that something that I'll replace that? Um, so Apollo is actually using Redux behind the scene to manage all of its state. And I'm not sure how exactly it'll integrate with it. Um, but I know they're, you know, they're pretty, they're confident with the Redux technology and they're, they're really trying to integrate more of the NPM, um, the whole node atmosphere in general into that project. So I see it as something that's going to kind of work side by side with it. Um, and we'll store our, the data we get from Apollo in Redux. Um, and the nice thing about that is we're able to incrementally adopt it rather than having to kind of do a big rewrite um, of this data layer of our app. So that, that's that's kind of what what I my understanding of it is. Now, so I've been looking at uh, Apollo Client pretty heavily because uh, I have the same need. I want to consume um, GraphQL and, and and use it with Redux. And I, I'm kind of like everyone else in wrestling with how do we you know how do we manage that now that we've got the perfect shape of data that i want how do i manage that in my redux store and i think that um uh, the apollo client is kind of leading in that discussion right now on how to how to do it there's a, a post that's on like the redux i'm sorry an issue on the redux github issue tracker that talks about you know how how would we use graphql with this and it's I think there's like 50 replies. Um, people just kind of think, well, what about this? Or we can't do it this way or that way. But I think that um, I think that we'll be able to um, 
to use Redux and GraphQL. Um, and what Apollo Client does is it essentially interfaces with the uh, your store and and lets you um, and kind of works with that grouping of your reducers. And I've seen two examples: one that it it is its own reducer and you can put data in there or have data fall through there. And so you can integrate it into an existing application, manage some of your data with the Apollo client in Redux um, and leave everything else alone. And then I've seen it to where it's combined uh, as the, the root reducer. So, um, so the neat thing about it is that you've got, it gives a little bit of flexibility in what your, what your situation lends itself to, to be able to adopt it. So, um, but yeah, I think the, what I'd like to see is, uh, you know, the communities come around and um, you continue to iterate on this to where we have the best of what essentially Relay gives us uh, in, in, you know, using data loader under the hood. And I'm not sure someone may know if Apollo Client uses data, I'm sorry, now I said data fetcher, meant data loader that comes uh, from Facebook uh, that will efficiently um, cache your your query, your data from queries. I think it's used in Apollo client. I don't quote me on that. But anyway, I think that if we're able to get data from the server, execute on it longer than you would in Relay, uh, Relay to me feels like something that is immediately coming down from the server and displayed without a, a longer manipulation stage. So I'm coming from the point of an enterprise application that's developed with Redux to where I have uh, and I've talked about it a couple of times before, an expense application. And I have a list of 20 expenses that I need to file. And I need to interact with currencies. I need to interact with categories. Um, those have subcategories and other fields. And so I may have an expense line that will live longer, that will live for 20 seconds on the client as the person builds it before it's ready to be saved to the server. And for various reasons, I... It's not a good idea to do a save, you know, in real time with every little piece of data because there are calculations on the back end that need two pieces of data before they're able to make a single connection. So I'm talking about a longer lived uh, client state. That's what I'm referring to. So I think that, you know, obviously Redux solves that problem. And so if we're able to have uh, a more elegant way to, you know, interact with a GraphQL server, which would give us exactly the data we need. And then I, I think more eloquently reason about it, at least that's what I'm trying to do myself is really eloquently reason about and explain what's going on with Redux with that exact shape of data. So hopefully that makes some sense. But what do others think about that? Is that kind of where we should go? Or? My question is, do you, I, I, I kind of understand now that we've talked about it, but originally GraphQL, Relay, and Redux, uh, we're supposed to sort of be doing the same thing, right? You shouldn't, like, is there a reason to use Redux with, like, Relay and GraphQL? Was it, like, was that always supposed to be the case? Because that's not, that's not what I, like, as of, like, reading the documentation and stuff, I didn't think that was the case. Is no, no, and if I, I was talking about the, um, so let, let me clarify. I was referring to, um, so you use GraphQL and Relay, um, and I would use that in a situation where I needed exact data um, from the server to fill essentially a template. So kind of your traditional um, client, 
you know, request something, the server responds to it, and then displays it. Um, I've not used Relay in outside of that capacity where I had something roughly form-related that was um, built incrementally, like a, um, I don't know, uh, uh, the Facebook ads manager. Um, I don't necessarily know that, uh, you know, there's a lot of steps you have to go through in the form before it's complete. Are they able to auto-save all of that data immediately to the server? Who knows? They likely can. On the flip side, where I brought Redux into the picture was replacing Relay in that scenario with Redux. Yes, we can have uh, it the data fall through Redux just like it would um, with with Relay as far as... So Relay is managing that whole um, interaction. So you literally just define the query in the components uh, the data you need for that component. And then Relay takes care of getting that data down to the proper components. With Redux, it's a little bit more work. Um, you have to define everything, the server interaction and how the data flows between the components. But you have the ability to, um, you have complete control over that that state on the client side. So I was speculating like, you know, what's the, you know, things like Apollo client help me kind of reason about um, that direction of taking my app from being a traditional, going its traditional rest back into GraphQL. Does that make sense? That makes sense, yes. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry for the confusion. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not super familiar with the with Relay in general. Um, but I think I, I see, so um, like the Relay, pers- the side of Relay, you know, that allows you to define a GraphQL schema and it will go ahead and fetch that data. I feel like that's really the only piece that Apollo is trying to do and not so much. And I might be wrong on this because I haven't invested really any time into learning about these yet, but just, just the side of fetching the data and then fetching the data via GraphQL. And then you may be uh, responsible for storing that in Redux or whatever you want to, however you want to store that. And then also kind of managing the side of, you know, say you've got a form, um, kind of keeping that that new data that you're updating and then you're also in charge of getting that new data to the the server maybe making a call via Apollo um, and I don't know if this is even something GraphQL does but to actually you know post data to the server yeah it does that with mutations yeah okay yeah cool. so yeah I think it's gonna be an interesting space to watch and we're gonna iterate a couple of times with the right way to do it and then not uh, Hopefully a year later we'll come out like we've done with Redux and we've got some pretty useful patterns. And I think everyone's wrestled with it enough. They kind of know how to iterate and build exactly what and get it to do what they want. Mm-hmm. Spencer, um, I see that you've done a lot of blogging and things about React Native. Um, where can people follow you? Yeah, so you can either uh, look me up on Medium, which is Spencer Carly. Or you can actually go to reactnativemeteor.com and that'll, you know, I've got a link to my Medium profile um, where you can read. That's where I do a majority of my writing. And then also I've got uh, an email list you can sign up for and I'll just, I normally publish um, an article a week, typically on Wednesday. And I'll just send that out to people, um, whoever are interested in React Native, Meteor, or using React Native and Meteor together. 
Awesome. Yeah, I'm signed up and I'm, I've been really enjoying all your uh, articles so far. So thanks for that. I'm happy to hear that. Okay, cool. Well, um, I guess let's go ahead and get to our picks. Um, Peter, would you like to go first? I'm probably beating a dead horse here, but if you haven't seen Dan Abramoff's idiomatic, idiomatic redux courses on um, Egghead, <clears throat> they're incredible. You should definitely watch them, especially if you're one to use a lot of boilerplates with a lot of, you know, kind of cruff that adds up in those. Um, if you want to see how all those things kind of get put together, he talks about everything. Uh, so definitely check it out. Seriously. Okay. Uh, Kevin. Yeah. So, um, I've got a pick, um, I mentioned working with Redux and Firebase. Um, and I ran across a, um, it was in one of the suggested videos on YouTube one day, uh, rally coding has a video that walks you through, um, using Firebase uh, and Redux together um, and showing you how to wire up, listen to the events, and then uh, respond with the appropriate Redux action. So it's a really neat uh, little video. Um, and then, uh, so that's my first pick. In the second, I'll reiterate uh, what Peter said about um, uh, idiomatic Redux. It is a, um, it is a set of videos you want to watch um, because it takes a lot of, <clears throat> you know, there, there's that, image going around Twitter of, you know, the, the, the fake O'Reilly book saying, you know, read whatever Dan Abram, you know, <laughs> I'll do whatever, you know, the guy to do whatever Dan Abramov says. Um, the thing is, is that I think, uh, and I, I know actually, um, that the, these set of videos, uh, have a lot of, they're not from him. He just is the, the person delivering the message. But, um, because I've asked, uh, him directly, some of these, uh, things that are covered. Um, and you know, he shows you how to use Redux and how to use, and, and but he does it from a, a very incremental stage to say, okay, well, I want to do, um, you know, I want to use Redux promise, right? So he'll go through and build up Redux promise and say, okay, well, there's this package called Redux promise. And then he'll get into a, another complicated situation where it's like, okay, well, if you use Redux thumb, it, it's much better and goes through and explains that. Um, so the, these videos are kind of invaluable for anyone that that's using Redux right now. If you watch the videos and, and don't learn anything, um, I would be highly surprised. So, so uh, I have a question. Um, yeah. When you take these videos or these courses, do you kind of follow along by coding along or do you just kind of watch them or a combination of both? I'm just wondering. I just watch them. I, I just watch them through. Yeah. And then if uh, he's got a, a repo up on his, uh, on his GitHub that has the, uh, the to-do's example. It's just gear on uh, github.com slash gear on to-do's. And each, each lesson is on its own branch. So if you want to reference the code, something specific, but um, the way he handles oh, nice. selectors, uh, the way he handles selectors in there, um, I, I have a production, an app that's got production code running in it. And I did my selectors and my map to props the way that, that I thought best at the time, which was last fall. But this kind of he shows you how to uh, compose reducers and um, put your selectors right beside your reducers or in your reducers, and then you can test them alongside there. Um, and on just a lot of these things that that you get from um, you know actually using something in apps for a while and getting feedback from the community. But I mean, I, I haven't um, I referenced the code, but I don't. I usually don't code them. Uh, I usually just watch them and focus more on the uh, the ideas and the, the patterns being taught. So, 
But those are my picks. Okay, Spencer, do you have any picks? Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit out in left field. But, um, you know, anytime I make a, a big, especially financial decision in my life, um, I read the book Rea- or, <laughs> uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that's a book I highly recommend, you know, whether you're interested in finances at all or not. Um, that's, yeah, just finished reading it with my move up coming up um, in the next few weeks to Nashville. It's a book I'll reread every single time I'm moving, buying a car, whatever it may be. Um, just always puts me in the right mindset before I make any longer term financial decisions. So that's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay, great. Um, well, my pick is going to be React Camp. It's a React conference in New York, and um, it's put on by some of the guys that have some of the React and React Native meetups up in New York. And it's cool because um, you can kind of pay whatever you'd like to pay. So um, the suggested price is 20 bucks. so it's a fairly priced conference. And um, it's also at the United Nations in New York, which is pretty cool. So if you're looking for a fairly priced uh, conference to go to and you want to go to New York or you live in New York, I would definitely check out React Camp. Okay, great. Well, Spencer, thank you so much for coming on. It's actually, I've learned so much. I've been wanting to hear about Meteor, and I think like I've kind of feel confident enough to kind of jump into some React Native and Meteor. I've done a little bit of Meteor stuff in the past, but nothing with React Native. So thank you for coming on. Cool. Thanks a lot for having me. I had a good time. Okay, well, that wraps up episode 31 of React Native Radio. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. See ya. See ya.